Oh, Father, thank you for your word. Uh, it reminds us of the good news that we can have eternal life with you. And so, Father, as we take time to open your word, to consider what it says to us, to consider what you're saying to us, we pray, Father, that you would open our eyes through your spirit. Teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Anybody remember being in middle school? Maybe you're in middle school. If you're in middle school right now, I'm just warning you, I might offend you. Okay? I want, I want everyone to try and think back to middle school. Middle school is so awkward. Amen. B.O. is rampant. You don't know who you are, and so you're trying to impress everyone. Your haircut is awkward. I mean, it's just all awkward. Nobody looks back at a picture of themselves in middle school and thinks, man, I looked good. So, I want you, if you've been thinking about your middle school self, and no judgment for how long you have to think back to remember your middle school self, I want you to share with your neighbor quickly something that was awkward about you in middle school. We're going to get real transparent here, folks. Welcome to Christ Community. Share, share the most awkward thing about yourself from middle school. Go. All right. Now that we all know each other a little better, for those of you who uh, didn't share with someone, maybe you're super introverted, Jesus is watching. That's all I'm saying. Just kidding. Hey, I share that and I ask us to think about that because today we want to talk a little bit about this idea of, of living in between, living in uh, attention. So last week, Dave Sullivan preached, and he preached uh, Romans chapter 5, and he talked about God's grace and how it's, it's greater than, than we could ever ask or imagine. It's, it's greater than all of these things. Uh, it's, it's, man, it's like it's a, it's a miracle. It's almost hard for us to comprehend as humans how great grace really is. Like our whole lives are spent trying to realize that. And, and now we find ourselves living in this in-between state. This state where we know that grace is true. We know that grace is greater than our lives and all of these other things. And yet we're like stuck here on earth in these human bodies with all of this hard stuff. It was almost seven years ago that Caitlin and I moved to Shelbyville, and when we moved to Shelbyville from Campbellsville, uh, we moved out of our house uh, March 1st, and we did not have a house to move into until about the middle of May. Maybe some of you all have been in that kind of in-between season. We had, uh, I had some gracious in-laws that said, you can live with us right here in Shelbyville, and I am super grateful. But if you've ever been in my shoes, you know some of the awkward moments, some of the tensions that come with living with your family in your in-law's house in a little bedroom for two plus months, right? It's great for the first week. Free babysitting is amazing. But then when you realize you have nowhere to have a private conversation, all the things, right, that come with that, there's just an awkward tension of living in the in-between. You know, to be changed by Jesus, to begin to live in the grace that he's given to us, often calls us to feel the pain of, of living in that same kind of in-between. 
Anytime we are experiencing significant change in our lives, we struggle with this feeling. Uh, it, it's maybe, um, maybe it's hard to be done with high school, but you're not yet in college. You've got that awkward summer in between. Your friend groups are changing. Your responsibilities are changing. Uh, it's difficult to be engaged, but not yet married. That comes with a whole set of challenges. The in-between is tough. Uh, the nine months before having your first child. Right, Kenny and Megan? It'd be tough. It's like your parents, but you're not really parents yet. How are we, how are we going to manage some of these things? It's, it's hard to have taken a test and not know what the results are going to be. And you're like, am I going to be able to, to keep going in whatever field I'm studying? We know that we have a, a character flaw, right? We know that we have a sin that, that looms, that needs to change in our lives. It's something that we felt like we've battled for our entire lives. And we know that Christ doesn't want that to be a part of us, but, but we also know that that's not going to happen overnight. Maybe you've hung around on the fringes of church for a season or for several seasons, knowing that God is calling you to more, but you don't feel like you're ready to say yes yet. And you're living in that in-between. It's difficult to be in-between. And so I ask you, what are you in-between right now? What are you in-between right now? What change is looming that hasn't quite happened yet? So in this passage that Megan read for us from Romans chapter 6, Paul shows us how Christ alone is the solution to managing those tensions. And how we often fail to manage it because we won't give ourselves to him as the only way. We heard Alex talk about this, right? It's like, I give a little bit of myself, but not all of myself. And, and the difficulty with that is it often leaves us in a pinch. So Paul uncovers two ways in this chapter that we often try to manage these tensions in our life on our own. Two ways that we try under our own power and that often fail us and leave us really frustrated maybe even angry at the church or at God or at other people. We get this incredible gift of grace and we, we get super awkward because we, we just don't know how to handle it. It's like it's too good of a gift sometimes for us. So Paul addresses this in this chapter in the form of, of two questions that we find in verse 1 and verse 15. Okay, Verse 1 and verse 15. He asks the question in verse 1, What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply, okay? Y'all, I am so happy that I have a whiteboard up here. Y'all, you, you have no idea. I'm a whiteboard kind of guy, all right? So, we're going to say that this line represents ourself, okay? Who, who we would say that we are. And this line over here, it represents Jesus, all right? And so what we know about ourselves is that we like to sin. It's, it comes naturally to us. Go back to Genesis 2. You can learn all about it. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Right? Dave talked last week about grace that is greater than all of our sin. When we sin, grace can show up because of what Jesus did on the cross. But Paul's argument then is, right, like, if grace is such a great thing, and grace comes with sin, shouldn't we just keep on sinning? Let's see here. There, there it is. We're holding on to ourself, right? 
This is my, this is my whole life. I have lived, like, I don't know anyone else but me. And, and we've got grace, right? We've got grace. So I will just continue to hold on to myself because that's all that I know. A life following Christ, it sounds great. I hear all that you're saying, Blake, about freedom in Christ and, and grace and, and eternal life. It all sounds great, but you know what? I'm really just afraid of what people would say if I sold out and, and went and followed Christ instead. You don't understand, Blake. All of my friends, all the people that I've, I've lived life with, they, they just wouldn't understand if my life radically changed and began to look more like Christ. I'm afraid that uh, then maybe another fear would be that I'm afraid that I'll fail. I'm afraid that, that if I try to give my life over to looking more like Christ, I won't be able to do it. And so many of us, we end up just clinging to ourselves and hoping that grace will multiply. So Paul asks this first question, and this is the first way that we mess up. We just cling out of fear. We cling to ourselves. We're not willing to even think about what it would look like for us to, to follow Christ. We live out of fear instead of faith. But then he asks another question in verse 15. In verse 15, he asks this question. What then? Should we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Okay, so he acknowledges that there's a, a tension here. Here's, here's the, the, the next thing that some of us do. We know that we're sinners, and we know that we need Jesus, and we know that we have grace, and so we think, well, maybe I can just live in between. Like, I can kind of do this and kind of do that. And so then we end up looking like this, right? And... Can I get an amen? Are there not days that your life feels like this? I mean, good grief. Good grief. You try to hold on to both. Lord, I know I need your grace, but I know I need to do better. I know I need your grace, but I know I need to do better. I want my marriage to work, but I'm not willing to let go of the things that I want to make it work. I want to read my Bible, but I'm not willing to get up 30 minutes earlier to do it. I want to stop this bad habit, but I'm not willing to keep myself out of the places where it happens. And we live in this constant tension. And when we live in that tension and we find ourselves failing because we can't do it, we begin to live out of shame instead of salvation. We live in this in-between and, and we say things like, I wish life was more like Christ, but I'm just so busy. I'm just pulled in every direction. There's no time to focus on who Christ wants me to be. And so as humans, our fear of living a life that looks so different that, that people would maybe uh, not look at us the same or our shame of what we think is our failure and not being able to do it keeps us from managing this tension of the in-betweens. We don't do it well. And so we need even more grace. And thank God we learned in Romans 5 that grace is, is greater than. Why do we struggle to cling to Jesus? Why can we not move ourselves from here to here? What makes this so hard? To let go of ourselves and to hold fast to Christ. Well, Romans 6 is written to answer this very question. It, it's, it reminds us of this incredible truth that, that helps us 
prayerfully to move past our fear and to move past our shame and to truly walk in the life that Christ has called us to. And the good news is this. The old you has already been taken to the cross. The old you has already been taken to the cross. Look at verses 6 and 7 with me. Paul writes, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered, what's the word? Powerless. Might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. That's good news. The old you has been taken to the cross. This has all kinds of implications. For one, when you battle with your old self, it's only because you allow it. When you battle with your old self, it's only because you allow it. Christ has died for you. He has taken the old you with him to the cross. It was crucified with him. Killed. The problem is that many of us are still clinging to the old self, thinking it's the only thing you've got. This is who I am. Nope. The old you has already been taken to the cross. But you see, the other thing that we realize is that Christ didn't just die to to give you a new life. He made your old one powerless. You see, many of us, we want the new life, but we forget that he has taken the old life and made it powerless. This is a big deal. He didn't just offer you this new life and say, try this one on for size. He sapped all the power out of your old one. And that's an incredible grace. It means that, that what has happened in your life without Christ has no power over you. Let me say that again. What has happened in your old life without Christ has no power over you. It has no power over you. It is dead. The old you has already been taken to the cross. Christ has killed sin's power. But you must not revive it. You see, too often your claim, you claim Christ's victory in the area of sin only to bring out the shock paddles and revive it. You forget how strong-willed your sinful self can be. Your sinful self battles to stay alive, fueled by temptation and the taunting of your old mistakes. And you must remind yourself every day that the old you has already been taken to the cross. Our kids are blessed, hashtag blessed, to have a toy room. We as parents are hashtag cursed to have a toy room. Just kidding. We're blessed. But every year around Thanksgiving, when the grandparents start to request Christmas lists, this terrible, terrible feeling begins to set in. We know that an onslaught of new toys is coming. It's a terrible feeling because you go up and you look at the toy room and there are already too many toys for the room to be organized. And so, at the lawyer household, A couple of years ago, we began to make a practice of going to the toy room sometime around that Thanksgiving mark and trying to clean out toys that we felt like were no longer getting played with, right? And sometimes we even tried to take toys that were getting played with that we didn't like. (laughs) Don't judge me. But there's also a little bit of fear that we're going to take a toy that we really are going to need in the future because it's really a toy that the kids like. 
And so our practice has been to bag up these toys in a trash bag, to take them, to hide them in a storage closet downstairs, wait for a few months, and then get rid of them. That process works really well as long as you get rid of them. It works really terribly when you put them in the closet, the kids go downstairs to play for a little while, and they find a big bag of toys that they used to have. There is no getting rid of those toys a second time. They are there to stay. And so now we have a toy room upstairs and a toy room downstairs. It's, I mean, it's, it's great. All the old toys are downstairs. It's not great. Okay, it's not great. You know, we have these moments in life where we sense that Christ is doing something new in us. That he wants something more from us. And we know the Spirit leads us and convicts us that we've got to clean out our spiritual lives. There's some things that we have to do to get ready for what Christ wants to do in us. So we try to bag some of those things up, be ready for what Christ is doing. But too often, we don't get rid of them. And we begin to revive those old things. And what the Lord had intended for us, the new things that he's calling us to, never come to fruition. Not because he doesn't want them to, but because we were unwilling to take out the trash. To finish the process. To not let sin reign in our bodies. When we get excited about our new life in Christ, we don't let sin have its way in our life anymore. Paul began this entire letter to the Romans with the idea of being set apart for Christ. It's the, kind of the theme that we've placed over this whole year here at Christ Community. How do we set apart our lives? And there's two things. It's hearing what he's calling us to and where he's sending us, but it's also doing the hard work of not letting sin reign in our lives. Look at verses 12 through 14 with me. Paul writes, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires, and do not offer any part of it to sin, as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. You see, this is not only dying to the things that tempt you, but dying to the things that taunt you. It may be your sin that has power in your life, but it also might be the sin of someone else that you've allowed to take hold and we can never forget the sin that so easily entangles us. Right? We, can't, we can't forget all of those things. But we can. We can run with freedom from it. You see, for many of us, we've recognized the sin in our lives. We know what's holding us down. We know what's holding us back. And we try with all of our human might to, to suppress those things. But instead of running away from them, we continue to stand right by them and hope that we don't reach down and pick them back up. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Like, we can do this. Like, okay, I know what the sin is that's looming in my life. I know that I can lay it down. But then notice what it says after that. And let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
You see, we must lay those things down and run the race. We can't just lay them down and hope that everything gets better. We lay them down and we run after him. Because when we allow sin and the death that it causes to hang around, grace can't abound. Folks, the good news today is that the old you has already been taken to the cross. So leave the old you there. Leave the old you there at the cross where it is crucified with Christ. Paul holds up baptism in this chapter as a picture of that moment and that reminder and that marker of that very truth. Verse 4. Yes, uh, verse, uh, let me go back actually a little bit into the beginning of verse, uh, part of verse 3. He asked the question, he said, Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were, baptized, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. I love how he asked that. He says, Are you unaware? Are you unaware? Unfortunately, I think for many of us, we are unaware about what baptism was for us. We maybe heard one thing, or we maybe heard part of the story, but we didn't fully grasp what it was that was happening in that moment. I don't know your story, but you might be unaware as to why you were baptized. Some of you might have been baptized at such a young age that you were unaware of your baptism. Some of you might never have been baptized. But here in this passage, Paul teaches us that baptism is the marker of our death to self. And it's the beginning of our new life with Christ. It represents outwardly what is happening in your life inwardly. The old you has already been taken to the cross. So you are laying it down. You're leaving it there in a watery grave. Only to put on and walk in the newness of life that only Christ can give you. Now, here's the thing. We like the sound of all of that. But many times you and I don't consider the weight of all of that. When you die to yourself, what is it that you're actually saying? I love the question uh, that the Summit Church uh, asks when someone is baptized. You know, when we baptize someone here at Christ Community, we come down in the water that the temperature is a variable on. We're not really sure. It depends on how long the heater goes in. But we ask you to repeat this confession. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I trust him as my personal Lord and Savior. At the Summit Church, we might just, we might just steal this. You can just get ready. They ask this question. Are you willing to go wherever he sends you and do whatever he asks you? Are you willing to go wherever he sends you and do whatever he asks you? Because when you die to yourself in a watery grave, and leave the old you at the foot of the cross, you're saying yes to that question. Yes, I'm willing to go wherever he sends me and do whatever he asks me. I'm not going to cling to myself out of fear. I'm not going to try and manage this all on my own and end up being ashamed of who I am. I'm going to cling to Christ. And knowing knowing that his grace is greater than any circumstance I can face in this life, 
I am willing to go wherever he sends me and do whatever he asks me. The marker of baptism is so important. I want to talk quickly about three purposes of baptism. And I want to remind us before I do that of why this is important. It's important for at least three reasons. One is that you might be considering baptism yourself. And it's important that you know why. Two is that you might be walking with a child who is or will be considering baptism. And you need to be equipped to have that conversation. And number three is that you might be walking with someone who is far from Christ. Maybe someone that came to church with you this morning who is or will be considering baptism. Scripture shows us that there are at least three purposes of baptism. I think these three are pretty good. One would be this. Confession. When we are baptized, we are confessing two things. One, that God is God, three parts in one, and two, that we are not. Matthew 28, 19 says this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So when we follow him in baptism, we are confessing that we believe that God is three in one, that he is God alone, and we are not. Second purpose of baptism is the practical change that is happening in our lives. Acts 2.38, in response to a sermon, the people say, What should we do? And Peter says to them, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this practical change that happens in baptism is a recognition that I'm repenting, I'm turning from sin. I, I'm, I'm letting go of myself, but it's also the practical change of committing to living set apart. I'm not going to get stuck in the middle of trying to do this on my own or holding on to some old sins. I'm committing to living my life for Christ. Third, this is the one that we tend to overlook, is community. A couple of verses later, in Acts 2.41, we read this. So those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. You know, our culture is very individualistic, and so many times we've made baptism a very personal thing, and it is personal, but it is also a very communal thing. It is an initiation into his church, and it is also us as believers inviting accountability from the church to say, you know what, I'm going to still screw this up, but please continue calling me back to Christ. Continue to encourage me to kill myself for the sake of following Christ. Here's the reality. We are all in love with ourself. <laughs> it's a reality. And Christ gave us more grace than we could ever, ever earn. And he knew that for us to get from here to here, from living for ourselves to living for Christ was going to be an incredibly difficult task. It's so hard to measure, so hard to quantify. And so in his grace, grace that is greater than, he gave us this act of baptism. 
that symbolizes, that marks the commitment that we've made to him. It gives us confidence in our walk with Christ as we recognize and confess that he is God and we are not. And as we commit to a changed life, a life that's free from sin and committed to living for Christ and and, and walking in community, it, it gives us confidence in all those things. And it causes us to read the end of Romans 6 with an incredibly different perspective. Verse 21, so what fruit was produced then from the things that you are now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. But now, since you have been set free from sin and become enslaved to God, you have your fruit which results in sanctification and the outcome is eternal life. And when we have made this exchange, we know from Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Today, if you've died to sin, if you've died to sin and can say, yes, I'm willing to go wherever he sends me and do whatever he asks me, then you can come and take part in the Lord's Supper by taking a piece of the bread and dipping it in the juice. And that represents so much. It reminds us. We celebrate that the old you has been taken to the cross and you're leaving it there. You are not ruled by fear or shame, by sin or by death, but you are ruled by the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life to buy you back. But some of you, some of you became aware today of your need for baptism. You may have been going through the motions for years. You may have done baptism as a way to to check the box as a religious act instead of as a marker of your relationship with Christ? Maybe today you, like, you just realized your need for it for the very first time. I've never, I've never marked my life. I've never allowed Christ to mark my life through this gracious act. Either way, there isn't a reason to delay. Don't wait. This is a great grace that he has given to us to die to ourselves and find new life in him. The old you has already been taken to the cross. The only question that remains is if you will leave it there. Will you join Jesus there in the waters of baptism, being buried with him and raised to new life? Today as we respond... We invite those of you who have been baptized in him to to come and celebrate with us in the Lord's Supper as the band plays. Maybe today you have, like, we just got more questions than answers now. We invite you to come back to the starting point room. I'll meet you there. Or maybe you know that, man, I need to take that next step of being baptized. Maybe today you realize for the first time that you need to have a conversation with your son or your daughter that's been wrestling through this and you've kind of avoided the conversation because you feel ill-equipped. Like, the gospel is urgent. (laughs) The gospel is urgent. 
or maybe as Ben talked about at the very beginning, you need to get the gospel to the end of your street. And today just begins to help you understand even more the change that God desires in people's lives. That they would no longer have to live in fear or shame, but they could cling to Him with full confidence that in doing so they have found eternal life. Whatever the Lord calls you to do as we respond together, don't wait, act. And let's cling to Jesus together. Father, Thank you for sending your son. Can't imagine the sacrifice that that was. Can't imagine letting go of him as he went outside the gates of heaven and came to earth. And so, Father, we just pray that you would weigh heavy upon our hearts the opportunity that we have to join him in his mission, to live in the grace that you've given to us that's greater than all the things we face. Do not allow us, Father, to leave this place ruled by, by fear or shame or sin, but give us the courage to walk in the new life that you have called us to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.